are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. What's going on, everybody? My name is James Bodden, and you are now listening to episode 10 of the Lunch Break Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I hope everyone is out there selling big, doing great things, and I am super excited about my guest today. Zach France is joining me. Zach lives in Salt Lake City with his wife, Tracy, and his dog, Randall. He's been in SaaS sales for the last six years, and he's worked with three different startups. He's made mistakes, and he's had a lot of success growing sales teams. Zach is currently an AE for Big Squid, and I'm excited to bring him here because I think he has a very unique point of view based on his experience. Anytime you're involved with scaling sales teams, there are mistakes and there are key learnings, and that's where the real value is. Zach has a point of view that, as we were talking before I hit record, he, he's here to bring real value, not the, not the fluffy stuff that you sometimes get on sales podcasts. So with all of that, super happy to have Zach here. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks, James, for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here as well. Well, let's dive right into it. Same way we start off every podcast, talk to us about how, how you got started in sales and, and, and when that, that passion started for you, Zach. Yeah, so... It actually, so I've, I've actually been an entrepreneur my entire life. And as I was preparing for this interview and thinking about my whole life and my whole career, uh, I actually think it started when I was nine years old. I, I've always, so when I started, starting when I was like three years old, I was in the kitchen with my mom. And for whatever reason, I always loved to bake cakes. And so when I was nine years old, I don't, I don't know if you remember GeoCities, but you could make a website on Yahoo. Yes. And so when I was nine years old, I made a website and uh, I wanted to have a cake business. Um, I only ever sold one cake. And after the seed money from my mom ran up, I, 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 I had to shut it down. <laughs> but, but after that, in, in high school, my buddy and I, we had uh, a shirt company, which was a, a total failure. Uh, and then a few years ago, I started a company called The Beer Barrel, where we we actually were importing one gallon mini kegs from China. And it was actually, a, it turned out to be a, de- a decent success. And then we ran into some legal issues, a, a patent here and there. So sure. uh, it, ended up really not, it, it ended up like not working out, but I've always been an entrepreneur. And in college, I was part of a co-ed professional business fraternity. And my last year there, I, I organized and I put on a charity golf tournament for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I was the first one to have a really successful golf tournament. And through this process, I actually realized that I love sales because I was essentially going out as a college student and selling the idea of this charity golf tournament. And we got a bunch of sponsors. We had like 160 golfers. And in that moment, I was like, hey, like I I like selling things. And it turns out selling a golf tournament with like beer and shots and cigars is way different than selling software. Uh, It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to sell that vision than it is software. (laughs) Yeah. But, 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 but when I was in college, that's when I I actually realized that I want, I wanted to do sales. And so after I graduated, I was looking for sales jobs. All I'm born and raised in San Diego. I went to San Diego state 
And the only job outside of San Diego was this company called Nuvi, which is a social media listening and analytics platform in Provo, Utah. And I got connected with this company because my uncle, he's a part of an investment group that had just invested in this company. And at the time, there were 11 people. And he was like, hey, we're going to start a sales team. Uh, we have a VP of sales with you. You want to be the first sales rep. Just move up to Utah and you have a job. And I had been to Utah two days in my entire life. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And I moved up to Utah. I, for, there's this, all my friends thought I was crazy for moving to Utah because they're like, sure. dude, that's like where the, they're like, that's where the Mormons live. <laughs> and I was like, eh, well, whatever. So I, I moved to Provo, Utah, which is like the epicenter of the Mormon culture and the Mormon religion. Sure. And that's how I, I got my start in sales. I, I was a newbie for about four years. We went, so we had a pretty meteoric rise. We went to about 160 employees. Things started to taper off a little bit. Uh, then I was a, a, another, another startup uh, for a few months. wasn't really a fit. And I've been a big squid for the last year and a half. And we're doing really, really cool things. I love it, man. And, and so taking it back to your first foray into e-commerce, <laughs> um, you know, what a, what a, an interesting thing because for you it just you said I was just kind of in the kitchen and I just you naturally had that thing uh, that I think true natural born entrepreneurs just have you know it's just in your DNA there's no other way for you to really look at things and and what I think is so interesting is because I'm so I'm not that way I, I don't look at things that way. Uh, when my, I was always the kid who was negotiating to get the candy that somebody else was selling for cheaper. Like I, I was the negotiator, <laughs> but I wasn't the guy that actually had the idea to sell the candy, to buy it from Walmart and then sell it for more, you know, and, and that whole kind of thought mm -hmm. process. And I tell you what, with the explosion of popularity in, in, quote unquote entrepreneurship these days. Yeah. I think it's a very important distinction to make where there's folks like you who just naturally are drawn to that way of looking at things, life. And then there's the people who, you know, there have been times where I've thought to my, I mean, I'm in sales. So there's an element of entrepreneurship kind of when you're a salesperson. Um, it's, it's very, safe shielded entrepreneurship but so of course the idea you know the thought has come across my mind like maybe i should work for myself but it, the thing that i always come back to is the people that i know that are entrepreneurs that are successful are so dna core entrepreneurs because you have to deal with so much and you you've dealt with that you've dealt with starting a business and it and it not working out, you know, starting another business. It's not like the first time you and your buddy, you know, your t-shirt company didn't work out when you're in high school. It's not like you said, Oh, well, that's it. You, you, there was no other option. You're going to go and, and find that next thing that's going to quench that entrepreneur thirst. And I think an interesting thing that I want to talk to you about is that, that I would imagine that that, strands of DNA that you have play a big part in your success with these early stage startups that, that 
don't have anything figured out essentially. Uh, so speak to us about how that, that entrepreneur lens can help in, in working in a startup environment. And then really it sounds like you've, you've truly taken responsibility for the path of your career. So I want to, I want to touch on that too. It's funny that you said the word DNA because right before you said that I wrote down DNA. I love it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a big believer that different things come at different points in your life. So for someone like yourself, maybe entrepreneurship is in the cards when you're 45 and you, and you've gone to the top of Cognetic and now you're ready to start your own thing. Um, and and there's a big part of it. That's just like risk tolerance. Like I will take a lot of risk. I'm totally fine with that. And other people it's like, Hey, I love my nine to five and my salary. And like, that's just what they're into. Um, and there's probably areas in your life where, so, so for me, the thing I love about entrepreneurship and startups, it's the thrill. Like it's coming up with the ideas. It's strategizing. It's making something from nothing. When people just say, Hey Zach, go and do this. It's, it's like, nah, like that's your idea. Like I I want my idea. I'm kind of stubborn like that. Um, and, and so I, I, I really think it's, it's like kind of a, a mix between like a risk profile and are you, like, do you want to do, you, are you just stuck on your idea in the way that you want to do things versus do you want to take a process that someone else created and apply it to your life? And either way, it's totally fine. But I mean, without, without people that are okay working for other people, the entrepreneurs would have no business. Yeah. So, and vice versa. So it's, you know, you, you need a little bit of everyone. Um, and to your second point, really like taking control. I actually, I actually, I, I never thought about that kind of the, how the two go, go hand in hand. Um, but that's, that's been a big catalyst in my sales career is taking control of my situation in my life. Because at my first startup at newbie, there was no sales training. It was started by a bunch of guys who had their background in pest control and door to door sales. So they took that door to door sales mentality and they tried to apply it to software sales. Wow. Ask me how, I mean, it actually worked out for three years, uh, I, two years, it, it worked out for two years yeah. and then it, 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 it stopped working out cause it's not scalable. Um, and part of my crew there, I was a team leader and I was just doing like anything that I could to get better. So I bought some Grant Cardone books. Grant Cardone's a great guy. Not really my style. Yeah. Um, and the last, probably in the last, Actually, since I got to Big Squid, I've really been feeling that my career has kind of leveled out in terms of how far I can get myself. Mm. Um, and I'm a huge believer that it doesn't. So I've actually been thinking about passion a lot recently. And I think that passion isn't necessarily like, oh my God, like I love this thing. Passion gets you started on something. So like, hey, sales is cool. But if you, it, it stops when you stop getting better. And really, I think what you're passionate in life about is the things that you're good at and you continue to get good at. Because as humans, if you suck at something, you're like, I don't want to do this. The same thing happened with skiing with me. I like, I got, I, I plateaued and I was like, this isn't fun anymore. I got lessons and now it's a lot more fun because I got better. Yeah. So I was kind of at a point in my career where I was like, do I love sales? Like, I'm not really getting any better. Do I want to maybe do, to do something else? And I was like, mm, I like my paychecks. I'm staying here. <laughs> um, and so I started reading a lot of things by Anthony in Reno. Um, yep. I read uh, Gap Selling uh, by Keenan. We could talk about those. Um, and then I, I actually hired a sales coach, which was like mind blowing. 
um, it, I went from like, this is four months ago. I went from like a, let's call it a, a B salesperson. And I'd say now I'm trending towards B plus, like, but it's, but the way that I'm trending is a lot, is a lot higher. And for all the sales reps that are listening to this or anyone that's listening to this, to rely on the company that you work for to train you and get you to where you want to go is completely unrealistic. It's just not going to happen. Even if you work at like Xerox or, you know, all, all these companies that have their amazing uh, sales training programs, one, those, those programs are probably based on 1980s philosophies, yep. maybe a little bit more updated than that. And um, they just don't care as much about your career as you care about your career. And if you want to get better, you have to, you have to invest in yourself. Like take the money that you're spending at the bar and spend it on yourself. That, that's, that's really what's taken my career to the next level in the last four months. Um, and it's paying dividends. Like I actually got my company to, to subsidize my personal coaching. So they're paying for about half of it now. I don't know if I should say that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> we can edit it um, if we need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's paid off dividends not only from closing deals, but also my brand at Big Squid. Because my, my bosses, I'm, 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 yeah, right? everyone should do it. You should interview Jay Mays. He's, he's my sales coach. Um, my, my boss has noticed it. Uh, my entire leadership, like the CEO has talked to me and said, hey, you've developed more than anyone else at the whole company in the last year. Like I'm, I'm, it's, it's paying dividends. And it, it's all about take, take, taking control um, of your career. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and so I think a lot of people would think of taking responsibility for your own career, especially when you're in sales, because you can sometimes, well, the stereotypical successful salesperson is a lot of the times that lone sales wolf that plays by his own rules, but closes the big deals and, and is successful. And so I think a lot of people can take, you know, the phrase or the mindset of taking responsibility of your own career is this is something you have to do by yourself, but it's actually, sure, the majority of the work is done by you because to your point, nobody cares as much as you do, but it's, it's when you get to a point where you feel like you've plateaued, looking for that next thing to, you know, grab onto to pull yourself up to another level and what's so interesting about uh, what you've done is that you sought out that training and and found the lowest hanging fruit which i you know which is books like uh, always be closing or you know the grant card because i i talked to a lot of salespeople that when they first started looking into leveling up and reading about sales, Grant Cardone is a name that always comes up and you have to give that guy credit because he, at least for me, yeah. opened me up to the idea of becoming totally. a better salesperson. And, and that, totally. that part of his message is one that I still love. The idea of consistently, persistently, repeatedly trying to get better. When we get into the tactics and, 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 and the style I'm with you as I've grown as a salesperson, I've, I've, I've grown to, to appreciate a different style, but I think 
the the initiative that you take to do something like that is something that anybody can do and i would suggest every salesperson if you're serious about making it a career now if you're just a salesperson and it's just a nice little gig for you stop gap until you kind of make a move somewhere else i get it doesn't really make sense to to do a whole lot of investment in in something like that but mm -hmm. if you're listening to this right now i would imagine you're listening to this podcast you're 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 somewhat serious about becoming a better salesperson and 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 really becoming a suit a true sales professional and one of the things that i love that you said was you graded yourself as a you know a b now i think again the stereotypical salesperson well, I'm an A. I'm number one all the time. I'm the best salesperson there is all the time, forever. That's not realistic. And the self and that self-awareness to be able to sit back and say, okay, am I actually getting better as a salesperson? You know, X amount of years into my career, am I actually doing better? Or am I just plateauing? Or what 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 is my real grade? Because the fact that you had that self-awareness led you to hiring a coach, which has completely uh, helped you skill up and level up, however you want to put it, much faster. So talk to us about that level of self-awareness. Are you, are you looking, I mean, is it something where you're kind of analyzing it on a regular basis or is it just kind of this constant inner monologue that you have or what are you doing are you are you checking yourself at a certain point in the year and saying how am i doing how are you how are you being uh and remaining uh self-aware my dog just my dog's here he just knocked over the whiteboard you okay buddy okay nice. cool. hey bud um, Rand, randall come on um, in randall. you're you're welcome <laughs> on the lunch break podcast randall's the real closer i'm, I'm gonna tell you that right now no doubt. Um, so actually, so where I got, I, I would say my self-awareness and it's very closely tied to my response my responsibility to myself to my, my, it's very closely tied to taking responsibility for my own actions and my own outcomes. And actually what happened, there was a specific point in my life where this started. I was quick story. I was riding my bike down a hill. I was coming around a bend and a car pulled out of a apartment complex, but they pulled out too far and I couldn't stop. I hit the car and I flew over the car and I, I was totally fine. Um, and the lady got out and she, and she was like, you hit my car. Like, didn't even ask me if I was okay. Um, of course, and yeah. I called my mom. Yeah. I was like, go fuck yourself. And she was all upset. Cause it was like her, it, it was like her BMW or whatever. I was uh -huh. like, I, I must've been like, tw I must've been like, like 12 years old or something. Yeah. And I called my mom and my mom was like, and I told, I, told, I told my mom what happened, and she was like, take responsibility, like, like, you hit the car, like, and then later, I told her, I showed her where the car was, and she was like, oh my god, like, I'm so sorry, da, 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 da. but <laughs> I'm, I'm making my mom sound like a terrible mom, she's not, because <laughs> although, although she, I, I think, although she mishandled the situation, yeah. looking back on it, that's what actually, from that point on, my entire life, I took responsibility for everything, everything. Wow. Um, and there's, there's times where that can go too far for sure. Um, but it's that moment led me to being really self-aware, like in all my situations, like how am I acting around my friends? How am I acting at school? How am I acting 
and my job with my wife with, you know, what, what are areas that I can be doing better in? And self-awareness is definitely one of those things. It's challenging. And for any reps who think that they're amazing, record one of your phone calls and listen to it. <laughs> and that will probably instill a little bit of self-awareness into your, in, into yourself. Yeah. Well, that's, see, that's, that's probably the first step. Yeah. That's the thing though, Zach, people don't do that. People don't do that. People like to say that they do. And they like to say that they are being objective about their performance. But the truth of the matter is, is that, and, and I say that people aren't doing that because I know that there's been large gaps in my career where I wasn't doing that. Oh, totally. And I, I, mean, I don't I do would, it all. I, like, I, as a salesperson, a hearing salesperson, why would you put yourself in that position? Like, I don't want to expose myself if I don't think I'm all the way up to par here. Right. I don't want to say, totally. oh, you know, and that's a shame because the only way that you get better is by addressing those things that you feel uncomfortable about. And it's like the theory of cold call reluctance, that, that idea that, you know, you kind of are afraid to get on the phone. I've been cold calling for 10 years and I still get nervous before I make a cold call if I don't feel like I am prepared to talk to that person in a knowledgeable way. If I feel like I know what I'm talking about, I'll call anybody and I'll talk to them any day of the week because I can have a conversation. I'm already interrupting yeah. today. I need to be a professional interrupter, essentially. And so yeah. I think you're, you're, first of all, round of applause for mom, because even though yeah. it makes me feel good as a parent, maybe some of these things that I think I mishandle will hopefully end up being some great life lesson. Uh, what yeah. can I hope? Um, but, uh, you know, in all seriousness, that, that, the gravity of that has, has served you well, my friend, because you, yeah, it, really has. it can go too far, but you're better off too far on the end of taking the blame for, for, you know, what, what's happening and taking responsibility for, for your own actions. And that also speaks to your affinity for entrepreneurship because yeah. the CEO, that's it. You're running the business. There's nobody else to blame. You're going to have to take responsibility for it. And if that's already kind of something that you're naturally going to do. Then I'd say, you know, uh, no wonder you, you, you enjoy that process because not everybody does. I have worked with plenty of salespeople that will blame the whiteboard in the room before they <laughs> blame themselves for a deal not closing. And, and that you'll, you'll end up falling over your own feet and, and, you know, shooting yourself in the foot, whatever you want to say, if you don't start realizing like you're, you're a part of the equation here. So yeah, you got this coach. What is that like? What is, what is it like to, you're actually, yeah, you're the only person that I know currently that, that hired a sales coach outside of their organization and paid for it on your own dime to get better. So just talk to us about the benefits that you get from that, that sales coach relationship. Super interested. In yeah. This. So when we first started out, he was like, Hey, just send me one call. So I sent him a call and he got back to me a couple days later. And I said, I already know the biggest thing you're doing wrong. So 
naturally, I, I'm really good at talking technology. I'm, I'm, I, I get a little uncomfortable, like building rapport, kind of warming people up. Like, it's just not what I really do. I kind of like to jump right into it. And so the first thing he did is he goes, Hey, we need to work on your rapport building. Like, what do you say in the first five minutes of the call? And we spent a month like practicing a story and then I would do it on the next call that I would send to him and then he would come back with more feedback. And then, and then we kind of just went back, back and forth like that. And in the past month or so, I've, I've gotten a lot better at that. It's definitely not perfect, but now we're moving on to building essentially my own, my own discovery framework. And at, at my company right now, we are a startup. And so there's not a ton of processes. And, and so he's helping me build this entire uh, discovery framework that works within the processes that we do have. Um, and I would, just before we got on the call, I, I, I was filling out this entire sheet for a call I have this afternoon. So now I know where my gaps are in my campaign. So I know that I need to talk about the, um, the decision-making process and the decision-making criteria. We need to talk about the contract because it's for the government. Um, there's a couple of other things. And so it's, it's not only given me the confidence to know that I'm better and that I, and that I'm working towards it. Like it's all a psychological thing that when I mess up, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I messed up, but these are the things I'm going to do to make myself better. As opposed to before I was like, I would just beat myself up about it. Like, Oh my God, like I suck. I don't even know what to do. So I kind of like overall, I've gone from being almost like helpless to feeling empowered and that I can be better. And that I know where I'm going. Um, and really, so like more, more tactically, it's really given me a, a sense of confidence when I'm going through a campaign with a prospective client, because now I know, hey, we're here, and now we're gonna go to this step, we're gonna go to this step, we're, and we're gonna go to this step. But I've also layered in things from, from uh, Keenan. So gap selling, right? Talking about the facts, the problems, the impacts, uh, 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 the root cause, and then the personal impacts. That framework, within my within the other framework of kind of the entire process changed my life so on my discovery calls previously i i would just i, I would kind of like ask like random questions like I, I wouldn't know i was kind of like swimming in the ocean i didn't know where i was trying to go with the keenan framework i know exactly where i'm going and when i get to the end i move the fuck on and it's not awkward and i've never gotten like i've gotten more information using keenan's framework than anything in my entire life like anything. So all the people that are listening to it, go buy his book yeah. and read it and just do his discovery questions. Those five questions will change your life. Hands down. I love it. So what's so great about that is that you speak about frameworks and you know, this idea that science is magic or so somebody at my company, we're a startup as well. And a lot of the times, other areas of a company can view sales as the people who can come sprinkle that magic sales dust on something and bring that million dollar contract over the line. It's so not that, that yeah. it scares me when you hear that kind of fluffy, uh, magical talk about sales because what it is is it's these frameworks it's these frameworks because what that provides a salesperson is that sense of comfort of i know what's coming next 
there there is something so powerful because I've been in sales positions where there was none of that and I wasn't aware enough and experienced enough and skilled enough to create them. So I was just out there doing what I thought was probably the right thing to do, messing up big time and then really knowing what not to do. And, and it, it, it was an inefficient way to operate. And then you have scenarios where you're in a sales position and maybe there is a process in place, but it's outmoded or it's not updated for the new product line that you're going to be tasked with selling or the myriad of things that can happen. And so as a salesperson, you have to start identifying, is there a framework in place? Can, if not, can I create one? If not, can I find one? If not, how can I implement that, right? Because there are people like Keenan who are real true sales practitioners that are writing this material and distributing this material. And it's not what, it's not the books from 25 years ago. It's, it's real life. No. I mean, you're, I've had 10 episodes of this podcast and I think half of them have mentioned him because it's just a, yeah. powerful framework. It's a powerful way for a salesperson to know what's coming next. And at the end of it, you feel empowered to say, uh, on to the next boom, because then there's no ambiguity. You don't feel like, Oh, did I miss something? Did I not do this? Maybe that was my fault. There's all this nervous energy that goes on when there's no framework and there's no process in place. And, and mm -hmm. so I think that's so awesome that you've been able to kind of collaborate with your coach, get that, feedback and be willing to take it and be willing to share because that is the big first step that I think most salespeople would shy away from to be quite honest with you Zach is that I'm going to send this guy my calls and he's gonna I gotta wait for him to critique them and I mean that is a big deal for a lot of people so how did you get over that or, or did you even have that apprehension it was easy. Like I was like, I want someone to tell me what I need to do better because my W because, because my W2 depends on it. Like I, I don't have kids, not, not yet, but I, I would think for a sales rep with two, three kids at home, dude, what's another even $10,000 a year. Yeah. Right. That's like, that's, that's significant money. That's, yeah. you know, a, a vacation or it's, Maybe you have private school for your kids. You know, there's like, that's, that's like some serious shit. Yeah. Um, and my, my recommendation for, for people who are maybe don't want to go down that route or feel like they don't have the money, which is if you're in sales, you're saying you don't have some money for a sales coach, then you're, you're kidding yourself. But um, if, if you don't want to go down that route initially, the other thing that I do is after my calls, I just go in Evernote and I have uh, a whole little section for self-evaluation. So I'll just say, hey, uh, I'll, I'll just write down, I uh, had a call with this company. Here's the things that I did good. And here's the things that I think that I can improve upon. Like, that's it. Just a quick, like two or three bullet points for each one. So now I have like 15, uh, it's probably actually like 20, 20 or 25 calls where I can go back and say, Hey, I made this mistake on this last call. Let me make sure that as I'm preparing for this next call, I'm hitting that topic or that I'm, I'm not making that that mistake again, or I'm controlling my ums or my filler words. 
that's a really good way to start. If you don't want to listen to your recording because it's too painful, start start there. Just, just yeah. think to yourself, what's one thing that, that I could have done better? No one has to see it. You don't have to listen to yourself on a recording. It, it's a lot easier. And back to your point about frameworks, if you don't have a framework, you can't get better. Because a, what a framework allows you to do is measure yourself. And yep. right after Chris's break, I was, I, we've had some changes in we've had some changes in leadership here at the company. And so there was really no one to do a, a pipeline evaluation with. Yeah. And so I was doing a self-guided pipeline evaluation and I realized, so, uh, and we use medic. Um, yep. And I, it's like, they're all kind of the same to me, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I noticed, so uh, the two D's are decision process and decision criteria. And I was in a, in, in a in an Excel doc, I just did it so I, I could see all of them in in order. And I realized that for almost all my campaigns, I didn't have decision process or decision criteria. And so having, although I'm not like a huge fan of these like medic or vans or whatever, it still provided me with a lot of value to say, here's some trends that I'm seeing in myself that now I, I know that I need to like, when I'm preparing, I need to focus on this thing because if not, I'm going to forget about it. I love it. Well, and it speaks to your, you know, point of without a framework, there is no growth. So whether it's Bant or Medic, any framework will provide some sort of value if you're yeah. measuring yourself against it. It's just you've taken it and optimized it and, and, and created one that, that works for you, which is something that I think everybody should do, whether they're, it's Bant on the wall or it's Medic or you don't have one create frameworks because it's 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 the way to start really analyzing how you're doing and 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 help create some of that self-awareness so look i i one one of the things that you mentioned was that you don't necessarily have a problem on the technical side of things speaking about the technical side of things and one of the things that i love about the content that you put on linkedin is that it is geared towards the clients that your company serves and the topics are complicated topics. I mean, everybody talks about machine learning and it's like this buzziest of buzzwords, but you know, I've worked in the analytics space for the last three years, really understanding this stuff and truly being able to speak to a practitioner in the analytics space and, and the machine learning space as a salesperson, that is no easy thing to do. And so I wanted to ask, is that just like a natural affinity, uh, you know, affinity that you have to, to have that technical mindset and be able to learn? Because I can't imagine that you walked in knowing these things. And so you had to acquire the knowledge and then be able to understand it enough to present it in a way that is advantageous for you as a salesperson and engaging to the people that you're talking to. So talk to us about how you're able to create that content that revolves around that technical side of what you're, what you're selling. What I did when I first started at Big Squid was I would just listen to people's calls. And we have some super smart people here that are data scientists. Our chief data scientist has a PhD in physics. But fortunately, he's not super nerdy where he can't have like a regular discussion with you. 
Sure. Uh, which is actually, he's like kind of a unicorn actually in that way. Yeah. Um, but really like for me, and I, I learn pretty quickly. I, I pick, I pick up, con- I pick up concepts pretty fast. Um, and so I just start listening to people and then I, I'll go on LinkedIn. I'll go on the Harvard business review. Um, that's one thing that Anthony Inarino talks a lot about is having business acumen. Um, yes. and really, so my focus when I build my content is I'm not trying to prove to a data, a data scientist that I know math better than they do. I'm not trying to prove to them that I know what a random forest regressor is. Like, I'm not going to win that. But the value that I provide as a sales rep, and I think this is a common misconception, I was just listening about this yesterday, is we feel like our customers know more about business than we do. They might know more about their business than we do, but it's our job as as sales reps and consultants to make sure that we know more about the industry and how our and how our technology impacts their industry or how the trends that we're involved in impacts the industry. So yep. where where I can be an expert in is how do you implement machine learning? How do you evaluate machine learning? Not like the intricate workings of the algorithms because I'm not gonna win that, but yep. the people that I'm serving, they've never bought software like mine. And so they don't know how to buy it. They don't know how to implement it. They don't know how to evaluate it. But I've done it a hundred, I've had thousands of conversations with people. And so I can build content to help them evaluate. Now, this is the beauty of building your own content is, so one of the pieces I really love is 13 questions to ask the potential machine learning partner that I wrote. Well, guess what? All those questions are in line with how, with our take on the industry. Yeah. If our competitor, if our competitor wrote it, it'd probably look very different, but mm-hmm. you can, but the, the value that we can provide as sales reps is helping shape the decision-making process and the decision-making criteria by providing the thought leadership and saying, these are the things that you should be considering and you word them in a way where it helps you. Yeah. One of the things that I've loved about your content is that it, because it's not very often that I come across across another salesperson that works in the analytics world. And I work on the services side, but it's 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 not selling to salespeople. It's not like working at Discover Org or Outreach where your yeah. your clientele is another salesperson. So you just have that deep, deep knowledge of what they go through. And it takes real effort to to learn about a persona that that is so on the other side of the house a lot of the times as far as the way yeah. that those they they think and they operate and and they engage with people but what i've noticed is the conversations that i've had with these people that i thought knew so much more are really yearning for that perspective and yearning for that thought leadership. And it's our responsibility to your point. It sounds like we're both listening to eat their lunch, by the way, uh, by Andy. <laughs> yep. yep. I'm listening to it right now. Yep. Yep. I'm listening <laughs> to it every morning on the way in. So yeah, it's, it's that mind share capturing that mind share and, and doing it in a way that speaks to your strengths and, 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 and what you know about and how, uh, you're you're not saying that you're gonna beat them in a math competition, but you are gonna say, no. you know that 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 
here's how we see the industry from this other view. And if a smart business knows that that's a valuable point of view, that, that outside, I mean, that's the whole entire reason why consultants exist, right? Because it's, it's yeah. businesses desire that outside look. And so if you position yourself as somebody who can be trusted and is providing valuable information, you're, you're setting yourself up for success. And so that kind of leads me to uh, the part of the podcast where I let you talk about what you're doing now at, at uh, Big Squid. So what are you doing there and, and how can somebody get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So what we do at Big Squid is, is we help companies enable their BI and their analytics team uh, with our automated machine learning platform. And the outcomes that we're driving towards are really like fundamental business questions. Like what, which customers are at risk of churning? What's the lifetime value? What products are a customer likely to uh, cross-sell or upsell to? And the problem that we're really solving is in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a massive shortage of data scientists. About, according to Gartner, around 250,000 uh, people short or short of data scientists. Um, and what's going to happen is that these business analysts and these business uh, and these data analysts are going to have to up-level their skills and become a citizen data scientist. And so that's really what we're on a mission to do is help analysts and BI folks become a citizen data scientist. The way that you can get a hold of me, uh, my phone number, uh, I love phone calls, area code 858-414-5021. Or you can email me at Z-A-C-H-F-R-A-N-T-Z at gmail.com. I love it, Zach. I love it. And so the... Last question and the same question that I ask everybody that comes on the Lunch Break podcast, what's your favorite place to eat lunch at? So I was thinking about restaurants and I was like, no, 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 no. You got to go to the taco stand oh. on State Street and 9th South in Salt Lake City. It's called El Rey de Taco, the Taco King. This guy's not joking. He's the freaking Taco King. And there's actually four taco stands on these four corners. Uh, if you're ever in Salt Lake, you got to go. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I felt so. I love that you went that route instead of the restaurant route because I'm much more of a taco stand guy than I am sure. anything else. The tacos. But Matt Wanty was on a couple of episodes ago and he asked me and he caught me off guard. And I gave the worst answer in the world after I listened to it when I was editing it. I said Quiznos. And it's like, no, like that was, that was, that was like the out of the box answer because I just really hadn't thought about it. And so afterwards it was like that moment where you're like, Oh man, I wish I could have said something because there's a, a little taco truck, right? Right by my house. And uh, it's just the best. That stuff is always. You gotta the go to the taco trucks. Yep. Yep. So I'm officially like erasing my last answer from a couple of episodes ago where I said Quiznos, no offense to Quiznos. I love, you know, uh, their, their, their sandwiches, but as far as favorite lunch spot, yeah. you know, it's gotta be one of those, those yeah. off the, off the beaten path type places. Well, Zach, thanks so much for joining me. I think you've shared so many valuable things and I can already tell I'm going to have trouble like summarizing this when I'm, when I'm uh, putting it on, on anchor and, and everything, because look, you've, you've done a lot of great things. You've, you're on this amazing mission to, to just get better as a person. And I think 
spreading that way of thinking is 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 going to be so beneficial for so many salespeople if they can just kind of start looking at, at what they're doing through the lens that you're looking at things through i think there's a lot of salespeople out there that will be so much better off for it so wanted to thank you again for coming on zach thanks for having me i love it and so with that i will wrap up episode 10 of the lunch break podcast speak to you guys soon